0: The following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show to find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future.
1: Good morning, you are listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson, your host today with Behind the Lines on X Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. This morning we are going to have a special guest for you who's calling in from Kobani in northern Syria. And I don't know if you're uh, familiar with some of the situations that's been going on in Syria, but uh, the Assad family ruled Syria under dictatorship for 40 years, formally denouncing the existence of the Kurds, the Assyrians, the Armenians, the Turkmen, and many other minorities, despite the rich tapestry of cultures and languages that have always inhabited these areas. In 2012, in the midst of the Syrian civil war, the rule of the Assad regime weakened in the Kurdish-majority northern regions. Out of this conflict, the Rojava revolution in uh, 2012 and the three pillars formed in these regions today, governed by the autonomous administrations of north and east Syria, and they focus on democracy, women's freedom and ecology, bringing cooperatives in a strong communal sense for the people there. This morning, we're privileged to welcome live via phone Salah Muslim who's calling us from Kobani in Syria and it's 2am there so we have to take our caps off to Salah for calling in at such an ungodly hour over there so welcome to the show Salah it's lovely to have you with us thank you for be staying up so late in your part of the world Salah do we have you there I'm not sure yeah, if you can. Oh, here but you uh, Your voice is very low. So All right, um, it could well. it could be the technology. I'm going to put my microphone up as high as possible. Is that better? Yeah, it's okay, but your voice is not clear. All right, so we'll try, try our best. Yeah, I do think it's the technology here. Um, okay. Right. So it uh, would be lovely if we could. Um, May we talk about your background a little bit first before we get into the situation there? Um, now, you have quite um, a prestigious background. I believe you are the former co-chairman of the Democratic Union Party, uh, which was the main party of the autonomous administration in north and east Syria, and you're also the deputy coordinator of the National Coordination Committee for Democratic Change, which was the most uh, and you were the most prominent Kurdish representative uh, in much of the Syrian civil war. So um, this this is quite a dramatic um, background for someone uh, like yourself. Would you better give us a little bit of uh, history of, of you know where you were born, where you grew up, and, and how this came about for you, how you um, steered your life in this direction? Okay, thank you. Well,
2: uh, I am from Kobani, first of all, and uh, I was born in 1951. And uh, so I'm uh, 71 years old. (laughs) 71
1: years uh, young, uh, (laughs) Salah?
2: I had had five children, and one of them is martyred. And uh, we have four children now. Uh, Anyway, I am now uh, in a position, a member of the co-presidential council in in PYD, I mean in Rojava. I'm staying now, still in, in Kamishlo in Rojava. And uh, of course, we are trying to, to do something for our people. And still, I mean, we are struggling against uh, uh, a very, very uh, a brutal uh, neighbor, which is, <laughs> I hope, uh, uh, God, uh, God doesn't give such neighbor to anybody, to any nation. Mm. We are suffering from uh, our brutality, I mean from neighbors' brutality, threatening, and uh, as all the world is following, so Mm. we are struggling against that. And now we have uh, in Rojava, uh, we have a kind of uh, administration. Uh, Of course, at the beginning, maybe you know what we were doing it was a Syrian uprising, I mean, it started in 2011. And we were part of the opposition, I mean, because as a Kurds, we were depressed, I mean, for tens of years, for many decades, uh, since uh, maybe the, the mid of uh, 20th century. Uh, so we were suffering from the Basist regime and uh, everything they were trying to do. Uh, for the Kurdish people to finish them and so on. So we were very, very depressed, and we were struggling against the regime. By the Syrian revolution in 2011, of course, I mean, we were a part of the opposition who uprised against the regime, trying to get our uh, rights, some democratic rights for our people, I mean, in, in Rojava. And after we announced our freedom from the regime in 2012, of course we were looking. We were looking for, I mean, uh, some uh, reforms in Syria, democratic reforms, not only for ourselves, but for all the Syrians, because in our region especially, we are living with the Arabs, with the Syriacs and. Uh, uh, and our strategy to live in brotherness with all these uh, components in north of Syria. And we established such an uh, administration, uh, including all those uh, uh, people, all these components. I mean, Muslims, Christians, Yazidis, uh, the Alawites, and whatever we have, I mean, in these areas. A very democratic model and so on. But suddenly we found ourselves not against the regime but against uh, those Turkish uh, regime and their uh, mercenaries uh, including uh, Isis which is Daesh uh, we believe still believe uh, was uh, created by them I mean to kill the people to finish the Kurdish people. And we had to struggle against Daesh since Daesh was defeated. I mean, maybe it started to be defeated. The beginning was in Kobani, uh, 2014, the end of 2014 and 15. And suddenly, when Daesh was defeated, we, found, we were face to face with the Turkish, uh, I mean, regime face to face. So they invaded our areas and they are trying to uh, to dismantle what we have built and um, just uh, finish the curse by uh, killing them or throwing them from the lands and they occupied uh, Afrin in 2018 and then uh, of course it was international uh, conception I mean between many sides uh, with the Russians uh, especially. <laughs> So they, they, they were able to equip high which is in the western part of Rocheva. And then uh, in 2019, uh, by the similar ways, by similar checks, they were able to persuade uh, Mr. Trump, uh, which was the president of the United States. Uh, so they give, he gave them the two other parts, which is... Uh, Talabiyat and uh, Rasulayn Greece. And uh, what uh, I mean happened is Turkey is uh, collected all the remains of those Daesh and al Nusra and all these jihadists in, in these places. I mean in Afrin and Idlib and uh, Rasulayn and uh, even Talabiyat. So uh, they are using them, I mean, uh, for all these areas and the uh, Um, by saying, well, I am going to make a safe zone or safe places, it's safe for the terrorists. And now the remains of Daesh and other uh, groups, I mean, those jihadists still are there. And feeding them and training them, they're training training camps and so on. So this is the way we are facing those now. And recently, of course, we were against those uh, threats by Turkey again. He's trying to invade again and uh, talking about 30 kilometers inside Syria to build uh, a safe zone. He, what he says is safe zone, and actually it's not safe zone. It's going to be uh, a black belt uh, for Turkey or for Syria, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean... To locate all those remains in these areas and uh, use them as he used uh, those mercenaries i mean in many places in uh, like libya and uh, azerbaijan and uh, maybe any places inside turkey so uh, this is his plan i mean trying to invade those places uh, to build a black belt i mean around uh, syria and around turkey because he feels uh, maybe more comfortable. Because uh, when Daesh was occupying about 200 kilometers along the border of Turkey, he was very happy about that. And he had uh, all those uh, pathways open through the border, making his trade and uh, uh, everything. He was happy with them. So yeah. when we collapsed uh, this plan, now he's himself. I mean, Turkey himself uh, itself is trying to to build a such belt around it. So and now so we are still suffering. I mean, of course we are preparing ourselves, and our people are very really organized. And of course we have legitimate uh, defense system, mm. legitimate, legitimateamental I for. Uh, uh, self-defense uh, units. And, uh, we
0: will try to resist against any
2: invasion. Yeah. So this is the situation
0: now, here. Yeah. So Sally, so I think it's probably worth um, going back a little ways to um, to just introduce the whole situation for people who haven't, uh, who are not familiar with it. Uh, how long have the Kurds been in Kurdistan?
2: Well, uh, the Kurdish people, of course, they are the original people of the Middle East. I mean, Uh, maybe uh, living in this uh, area and their places maybe since thousands of years. Actually, nobody uh, knows because we are talking about maybe 10,000 years. Uh,
1: So they are the, the people of the area. And uh,
2: Kurdistan is now, and so this situation is divided between four countries, uh, which is uh, the most of it in, in Turkey and part of it in Iran, which we call it uh, Eastern Kurdistan. Northern, Northern Kurdistan is in Turkey, Eastern Kurdistan in Iran, and Southern Kurdistan is uh, under the, I mean, which is uh, taking federalism now with Iran. And Rojava, we are mostly in the north of Syria, uh, from Afrin to. If you see the land of Kurdistan, it's approximately, because there are no borders exactly, we don't know, it's more than 500,000 square kilometres. And the population, there are about 40 million, uh, maybe more than 40 million. 50% Fifty percent of the uh, Kurdish population they are located in Turkey, in north of Kurdistan, I mean, and uh, maybe about uh, seven or ten millions are in Iran, and about uh, six or seven million in Iraq and in Syria. We are the smallest, uh, smallest part. We are about uh, uh, three million and three and a half million or something like that, I mean. In Rojava, in Syria,
0: hmm. if we
2: remove these borders, I mean, and invited Kurdistan, we are all in one area. We are connected to each other. Uh, but of course, it was divided by those border by for uh, these uh, areas.
0: Hmm. And when did and those? The
2: most important thing there was yes.
0: Sorry, when when did those borders get there, and how? Well. Uh, uh, it those borders
2: was in uh, by the agreement of Lausanne in 1923. When I mean, <laughs> after the first uh, war, when the Ottoman Empire was collapsed, and then, uh, of course, uh, when uh, in 1923, when the uh, the Turkish, uh, I mean, state was announced uh, as a republic. 1923. So this border was uh, withdrawn uh, for Turkey and uh, between Turkey and Syria and uh, Iraq and whatever it is. At that time Syria was under the occupation of uh, uh, French occupation and Turkey was uh, of course remain of the Ottoman Empire and uh, Iraq was under the, the domain domination of uh, Britain, I mean UK. Hmm. So uh, this border was uh, drawn at that time, I mean in 1923, by laws
0: and agreement. A typical pattern for yeah. colonialists is to uh, to crush the culture and, and stop the people speaking the language and that stuff. Did that happen in Kurdistan? Uh, well, yes, of course. I mean, uh,
2: if we talk about the Kurdish people, yes, we have. Uh, Maybe many accents which are a little bit different, but the, the, the main, I mean, the language is one language for all those people, and it's mixed. I mean, maybe uh, we can talk uh, for the Kurdish language. We can say that Badinian is uh, the largest one. In in uh, Rojava, we are all, all, I mean, talking the Badinian, which is the the accent, and uh, maybe uh, all also in. Turkey, north, and the uh, small amount is they speak Zaza, which is a different accent than Sorani. Uh, it's mostly in the South Kurdistan and uh, part of the Iran. Otherwise, I mean, the original is only one language. So maybe because of those years and these borders, the accents a little bit changed between the all those parts. Otherwise, I mean, the culture and history and even uh, sociologically, we are the same. I mean, the same nation. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And um, did any of the colonial powers try to stop Kurds talking their language? Uh, well, yes. Uh, let me uh,
2: point uh, another point, which is about the... Uh, the religion, I mean, uh, we were, I mean, uh, Zergustians, I mean, before the becoming Muslims, maybe for of years. Uh, Zergustian was, uh, I mean, a Kurdish, uh, a Kurdish religion, uh, religion originally. And uh, by the time, I mean, when the Islam came, I mean, maybe around uh, more than 1,000 years, uh, a lot of uh, the kurdish people uh, they became uh, are muslims but in in different uh, uh, sections i mean now we have sunnis most of the you know, kurdish people are muslim sunnis uh, but also we have uh, shias kurdish shias mostly in, in iran and uh, uh, iraq and also we have Alawites. all those alawites they are in north kurdistan most of them we are talking about the, maybe more than uh, 8 million people. Some of them, most of them are Kurdish uh, Alawis and some of them, they are um, Turkish Alevis. Uh, and also we still have uh, Yazidis. Maybe you have heard about this uh, uh, conflict in the Middle East. You have heard about Shangal uh, or Sinja or uh, yazidis who were uh, captured and um, I mean by the ISIS and killed and kidnapped and whatever. I mean, it was a big, big tragedy. It was a in Synger in Shanghai, so they are also the original Kurds, maybe since of years. What I mean, I mean, um, for religion, religion wise, we have uh, uh, Muslims, we have um, Alawites, we have Yazidis, we have Christians. Uh, so it's a really mixed. Uh, for the the Kurdish people, and uh, of course we used to live together, I mean, now in Rojava, uh, we have some uh, Alawites, Kurdish Alawites, and some Arizides, and also also Sunnis, we are together living, I mean, without any uh, difference between uh, those, uh, from uh, religion, I mean, wise, so this is another point, should be pointed, I mean, for the Kurdish people.
0: Hmm. And I guess. Um. Yeah. How How did Turkey develop such a hatred for the Kurds? Well, uh,
2: no. In the if you look through the twentieth century, I mean, the Kurdish people all were depressed. I mean, because many uprisings were in in uh, in Turkey against the Turkish. Uh, I mean, uh, the governing and the Turkish, de- uh, Turkish depression against them. and uh, It was many, many uprisings against Turkey. It was in uh, 1921, Sheikh Zayed, and 1925, uh, sorry. In 1920, it was small, I mean, uh, uprisings, but the biggest one was in 1925. Sheikh Said and then uh, there's some uprising in 1937 and uh, before that it was in, in Algeria. It uh, contained about four years in Algeria, also uh, against Turkey. And since then, I mean maybe hundreds of thousands of the people, that were killed for these uprisings against the Turkish state uh, States uh, since that till now. And then, uh, of course, uh, Turkey then had very, very uh, dangerous plans for assimilation and uh, enforced the people for immigration from their places and uh, you know, to the western Turkey. And now you can find, I mean, maybe maybe more than uh, one or two million people there are located in Konya, which is uh, the middle of Anatolia. And many people immigrated to the big cities like Istanbul, Ankara, Izmir, living there, but they are Kurdish. I mean, they are still keeping their uh, culture. And many villages, they were also destroyed and burned and so on. in, in uh, The recent uprising was, of course, in 1984 by PKK. And since then, maybe about 5,000 P- uh, villages, they were burned. And, uh, um, I mean, um, destroyed, so millions of people, they migrated from Kurdistan to the big cities and even to diaspora. So, it's still continuing, I mean, this is depressing in, in there. Mm-hmm. And in Syria, of course, I mean, we were part of Syria, of course, we did have uh, uprising, but we were also uh, demanding our democratic rights uh, within Syria. And of course, we were depressed by the mass the regime since 1963 and also uh, many people. I mean, we were in the prisons and detained and captured and uh, of course, I mean, the Syrian government, they had their, their own secret uh, plans and projects against the Kurdish uh, people population. Uh, one of them was uh, maybe the Arabic belt, I mean, uh, which was uh, executed, I mean, in 1962, and um, 100,000 people of the Kurdish people, they were just uh, um, were thrown from the Syrian uh, citizenship, so there, there was no IDs for them, uh, and... Uh, Of course, I mean, all our uh, our areas, uh, they were um, just ignored. I mean, there is no projects and no workers, no opportunities for work, but the poorness, poor people, and uh, in spite of our places, I mean, the Kurdish populated places, uh, we had uh, petroleum, I mean, oil resources and uh, agriculture and so on. But everything was going to the West, not in Syria. And in Iran, the same same situation. And uh, also in Iraq, as you know, maybe there was many uprising. Uh, And uh, at the end in uh, 1992 and then in 2003, they were able to build uh, a kind of federalism within Iraq. So they have a little bit of their rights now, and they are okay. I mean, they have a system over there. Uh, but in Iran, no. In the same situation with the Syrian, even there are no uh, cultural rights, I mean, democratic rights. And Kurdish uh, language and uh, culture is prohibited. Yeah. And also no schools, no teaching. And uh, you cannot say, I am Kurd. If you say I am Kurd, so you should go to the prison. So this kind of depression, I mean, we have it in Syria and Iran and, uh, of course, in Turkey, you know the situation, maybe, because the largest amount of Kurdistan is, uh, maybe even the land is, uh, more than half of Kurdistan is in North Kurdistan in Turkey. And there is a fighting going on against the PKK, which is looking for their democratic rights in, in, in Turkey, since, and they be... <coughs> And they began the the armed struggle. I mean, the guerrilla struggle since
0: 1984 until now. They are still fighting. I mean, uh, mm. what's going on. So, I, yeah, think, so I think I think we need situation to. mainly. Mm, we should uh, d- dive a bit deeper into the PKK because that is really where the roots of the philosophy that's uh, become in operation in in northern Syria now. Is that fair to say?
2: Well, yes, it's not in Syria only. It's all the Kurdish people, I mean. Mr. Ocalan, he has, a, uh, well, you can say that his ideas and philosophy is summarizing uh, all struggle of the Kurdish people and all the leader, democratic leaders and so on. Maybe at the beginning, I mean, when PKK was established in 1978, uh, they were uh, looking for, I mean, a Marxist uh, philosophy or Marxist uh, ideas, and then it changed. And now, uh, what they are looking at is democratic socialism. They are talking about, I mean, just like uh, the other, uh, I mean, those intellectuals like. Uh, uh, Chomsky and uh, the others, I mean, like uh, Bukchin and the others uh, looking for the democratic uh, uh, socialism. And his idea, I mean, for the people not to fight, it's just to live together, brotherness and so on. And I think his philosophy and so, it's not only for the Kurdish people, but also uh, it is able to solve all the problems of the Middle East. And uh, as a part of Kurdistan, I mean, Kurdish nation and uh, uh, we are used, I mean, to his ideas and his uh, uh, philosophy, I mean, for living and uh, our party, uh, PYD also, they got their ideas and ideologically is uh, close to Mr. Orcalans. Uh, But uh, the real uh, followers of Mr. Ojo, so it's in PKK, which is a party north of Kurdistan and uh, they have guerrilla war. So so, uh, this is the way we can look for it, yes.
0: Hmm. So, yeah, Um, what is... uh, Well, let's go back to, I guess it's the late 2000s when the PYD formed. Where did the PYD come from?
2: PYD was uh, a party, I mean, as the Syrian Kurdish people, we were trying to have many organizations. And the first Kurdish party was established in 1957. And uh, we had many parties, but uh, they were not in the right ideas and uh, the same. Our PYD, uh, we uh, there were many efforts to find an organization for the Syrian people to to demand their rights and to express uh, the feelings and the demands of the people. Um, Maybe since 2000 we were looking for, especially when Mr. Rojalan was uh, captured. Uh, So we were trying to organize our people here. And uh, many people, I mean in in Rojava, the Kurdish people mainly, they were sympathizing to Mr. Rojalaam because he lived in Syria for 20 years he was close to Syria, he was in Lebanon, and uh, even for some years he was in Damascus. But he didn't come to Kurdistan, I mean Rojava, according to the, their uh, conditions, they were in Lebanon. So, but many people of the Kurdish people, they joined, I mean, PKK in the beginning, and they were just guerrillas fighting in the mountains, uh, because uh, they were part of it, and they uh, Uh, I mean, uh, they believed on on his ideology and When we tried to establish a party in Rojava, we found uh, the background in Rojava as uh, those people which they are sympathizing to Mr. Rojava. So it was uh, the easiest way for us to bring all those people together within one organization, and we were able in 2003 to. uh, make our first uh, uh, conference, I mean, to establish a party, to announce it, it was a PYD, of course. And since then, uh, we are struggling, I And mean, it was established in 2003. And, and is it? Uh, and of course, I mean, we are, we, are, we have, I mean, the ideas and the ideologically, we are close to Mr. Wajala. But his ideas and uh, philosophy was uh, adapted to our conditions according to our uh, Kurdish people in Rojava in Syria, so this is uh, PYD, yes. Yeah, so it, at in
0: 2003, was it legal to set up a political party in Syria?
2: No, no, it was a secret party, and of course since then, uh, we were, <laughs> at that time, remember I mean we went to to Iraq a safe zone to to make our conference over there and then we announced uh, and we were secretly I mean working and we were in struggle with the regime at that time because uh, anybody was uh, sympathizing to PYD, and so they were uh, they were detained and they were tortured and myself I was in in prison, I detained and tortured uh, for four months, five months in Damascus, intelligence services and so they were. We were working, uh, uh, I mean secretly, among the people, the Kurdish people.
1: Mm. So, so, so Salah, you and your wife...
2: Since, since two, uh, till, till 2010, till,
1: till 2011, yes. Mm. So, so Salah, you and your wife, Aisha, effendi were imprisoned in syria i understand around then um and you fled to the patriotic union of kurdistan PUK, puk camp in iraq is that right is this around the same time that this was happening yes yes yes
2: it was in 2000 yes it was in 2003 and uh, we were struggling i mean the regime i mean many, many times we went to uh, prisons and captured, and detained, and tortured. Uh, so, uh, and this is what our situation in 2010, uh, because it was very, very strong against us. I had to go out uh, to, uh, as you said, I mean in the place, in South Kurdistan, where we had a headquarters over there. Uh, I went to there for one year, and we had our fourth conference, And then at that conference, I was selected as, uh, uh, I mean elected, not
1: selected,
2: (laughs) elected as a president of PYD, and then, of course, in 2011, uh, the Syrian revolution, let's say, uh, started, and I returned to Syria, and then we started our uh, struggle, uh, maybe
1: half openly, half officially, in, in Syria. And it was not long after this, I believe, and I'm sorry if this brings up sad memories, your son, Shavan, who was fighting with the People's Protection Units, was killed um, west of Tel uh, Abiyad during the clashes with al-Qaeda. Is that is that correct? Yes, he was
2: struggling against, at that time, it was uh, nusra al-Nusra, which is, uh, I mean, before Daesh, uh, they were surrounding Kobani, and my son was... Uh, in in YPG and of course they had a, a fighting. It was martyred in two thousand thirteen, really.
1: Mm. And yes. you you mentioned that that he has been martyred, and that was a um, something you mentioned in the introduction to which didn't, we didn't really touch too much on. Uh, but you know that that the loss of everyone's lost someone in their family or someone close right through this conflict.
2: Well, uh, really, yes. Uh, it's a pain, but I think uh, because uh, it's not only me. I mean, we—you can in Rojava there are—you uh, cannot find a family without losing uh, some of their beloved. I mean, um, sons or niece or nephews or whatever it is. I mean, we have uh, because uh, since this fighting, of course, defending our our being here. I mean, defending against. Uh, those groups and Turkey and so uh, we
1: have lost I mean, tens of thousands of our uh, children so I think uh, it's a common pain I think for everybody it's not only for one person yeah. yes, and it's so many generations too right it's not just one generation so I understand too yes. that um, some of your more well known female resistance fighters there's uh, Sakine Sakine Kansiz, um, pardon me if I'm not pronouncing this correctly. Sakin, she also was called Sarah, I think, during the war. Uh, and Gultan uh, Kisanek, who's currently in prison as well, I believe. Um, so Sakin was um, exiled after being in prison imprisoned multiple times and, and tortured horrifically. and she ended up I think being exiled and living in Paris and in 2018 uh, Turkish intelligence operatives actually assassinated her along with uh, two of her colleagues. So you know you're talking about a situation where even you know the, the prominent people in your movement, even when they have to leave the area, they're never safe. they can't go anywhere in the world. they're still being hunted down by Turkish intelligence authorities.
2: Uh, Well, I think um, uh, you are talking about uh, some uh, PKK cadres. yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not only one I mean in Paris and uh, some others and uh, many of them they were detained and uh, maybe uh, not only detained, I mean uh, uh, they were, uh, (coughs) I mean, uh, captured by Turkey and Brought to Turkey, I mean, many of them. I mean, Turkey, because using Europe for uh, such a things, I mean, many killings and many
1: detains, uh, and on the even now. Um, because I believe it. So Turkey was also trying to. Um Enter. I can't remember which organisation it was, but they wanted to impress Europe. They wanted to be shown as more humanitarian, and they actually, in 2013, and thought in were entertaining the idea of um, of, of actually um, opening in Rojava a representation office in en- um, opening a Rajava representation office in Ankara. So there was actually some um, discussion that looked like it was going to go in a really positive direction, but then it backtracked quite badly, and then I believe they also sought to assassinate you?
2: Well, assassination is, uh, of course, maybe, but uh, uh, I think, I mean, uh, it mainly happened, it was in 2018, I mean, in in Czech uh, uh, Republic, I mean. So they, they tried, I mean, to... To capture me from there, I mean to 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 take me to Turkey, as uh, maybe it was announced at that time.
1: Well, I think they, they stated uh, that so you were one of the most want, you were on the most wanted terrorist lists by the Turkish Interior Ministry, and they had a bounty of um, four million Turkish lira, which is about one and a half million US, on your head placed on your head, um, and at this time you were um, you were also trying to hold a press conference. Um, with the European Union in Brussels, so it was it seems like you know here you are trying to do very democratic processes and You've got an organization that's not only trying to assassinate you. They've placed a bounty on your head um, They're classing you as you know one of the most prominent terrorists You know, it, it's incredible that the extreme that they've gone to to, to silence you Well, that's right, yes, because uh, I
2: had many activities in Europe I mean maybe in the European Parliament and uh, Also contacting the people, talking to them. I mean, finding the way for the relations, diplomatic relations. So uh, they were very bothered. I mean, even uh, they put me in the uh, blacklist of the red list of the Interpol. I mean, many times. And uh, of course, I mean now I cannot go to Europe because I am in the Interpol list. Um, Germany, man, is, uh, uh, I mean, rejecting any single visa for me, so I, I'm now not able to go to Europe. So all of that is Turkey. I mean, of course, they put at the beginning about $2 million for my aid. Like, uh, that's right, yes, exactly. And now, of course, uh, here in, in road travel, we are not safe. I mean, we are trying to keep our... Uh, ourselves. I
1: mean, just uh, uh, let uh, half secret. I mean, I,
2: I cannot go to the public and so because uh, I'm still wanted by them. I mean, I, as you know, I mean, in in all Rojava we have those uh, drones and uh, and those uh, shellings alongside mm-hmm. the border and uh, this uh, even and uh, the ceasefire line, which was. Uh, agreement, done by the agreement with Turkey and the United States and uh, they are not obeying it. They are still shelling and killing the civilians, I mean, uh, in, in our towns, in our places.
1: And it's really sad that, you know, our mainstream media doesn't give this a lot of coverage. You know, like our our radio program, we try and seek out people who don't often get given a platform, who don't have a lot of exposure so we can get their story out so people can hear the truth. And, you know, I've heard very little about this on our mainstream media, so our international uh, journalists have, have not really been covering this material or, or, or this um, this history. So, for me, when we had you on the show, some of the information I was reading before preparing for the interview was uh, the first time I had come across it. So, to me, it's it's very striking that um, so little of your plight and your situation um, is uh, not being made aware to the majority of people in the West.
2: Uh, well, yes, um, we are trying to to get. I mean, the people, and we uh, just invite everybody to come in. But most of them, they are afraid because anybody comes, uh, he he cannot go to Turkey. Just uh, just ban them, so they come not to Turkey. <laughs> Even they become terrorists. I mean, uh, I I remember many of the people that were captured in uh, in Turkey just because they have. Uh, a photograph with me, I mean same uh, photograph so they just
1: so, so they're carrying a photograph of you channels. and they were the so people who carried so, a photograph of you were barred from entering Turkey is that correct? Yeah, yes
2: <laughs> so, you know, because they just look for the telephones or whatever it is and they, uh, and uh, maybe uh, I remember just just two, three days ago uh, after this conflict with the Turkey and there uh, uh, threats and attacks. There was a team from uh, from uh, the Swedish television, I mean Swedish national television. They came to here to our place and they just uh, met me for, for for five or ten minutes. And uh, of course, the, it was uh, I mean uh, the view was announced in the television, and uh, just because of that, they were banned to go to Turkey.
1: Right, so the Swedish news crew they, was banned
2: They called call them not to come to Turkey, otherwise they will
1: capture Right, that, goodness me So that, that, yeah, That's incredible that, that yes. still, after all that you've done and all that you've accomplished that we're still struggling with that I think Scotty has um, some key questions he'd like, sorry to jump topic to topic but <laughs> I, I know we're running out of time so we want to make sure we cover um, all the important pieces so I'll just turn it over to Scotty again he think he'd like to talk to you about the system there yeah,
0: so I guess if yeah, if we go back to when the PYD was formed and you were organising underground, how did you prepare for a democracy inside a dictatorship?
2: Uh, well, yes. Uh, I remember in our uh, third conference, what is uh, 2007, uh, we decided to make a local... Uh, uh, councils, I mean, for the cities, for the towns, for the areas, by the people, and we tried to make these councils, and of course, because we were underground, I mean, uh, all, most of those uh, councils, they were captured by the regime, and they were tortured and uh, they been put in prison and so on. Then they were released and we established again and again. So. Uh, I mean, we were looking for the democracy from the beginning again, to have uh, to return to the people to make them to manage themselves. And of course, uh, because uh, our aim was uh, society, uh, our society should be politized and uh, ethical um, politized, So this is uh, was our aim, and we tried to do it. Uh, since we were established, I mean, we were among the people looking for democracy to teach them to,
1: because, you know, it's very difficult to have a, a despotic
2: regime and you are trying to teach the people that democracy how to maintain their democratic rights and to uh, to live in the democracy. So it was a very difficult situation.
0: Yeah, so how, how important was that practice that people had, had been doing under such difficult circumstances when when there did eventually uh, a power vacuum happened?
2: Uh, yes. Now, these organizations, of course, I, uh, I don't know maybe
1: particularly I should uh, explain. I mean, uh, as PYD,
2: we were established in 2003. And then in 2004, there was a commission uprising Comes to uprising was a kind of uh, conspiracy by the regime to uh, to depress the people. I mean Kurdish people, because uh, they were expecting in Iraq uh, there was uh, American invasion and uh, Iraq was uh, uh, of course occupied by by America. So they thought maybe we will be some we will have some contacts with the Americans at that time. So they wanted to depress the Kurdish people, and there was, uh, of course, the, the Kurdish reaction against what they had done, it, it was uh, what we call the uh, to uprising in 2004. So at that time, uh, we were forced uh, to make some very, very secret units to defend the people, uh, maybe some young people, groups, just three or, three or four people. For, uh, in any place in case of uh, those intelligence services people when they attacked and so on. Were, we were trying to to protect our people and even to take their advantage. I mean, and many many uh, those intelligence services, uh, men, I mean, from the Syrian regime, uh, they were killed for that uh, because they were very hard against the people, the civilians and so on. So they were punished by killings at that time. And those units, I mean, it, it was a part of our uh, organizing the people, as I said. They were in defense units. And uh, of course, when Syria uprising happened, we were kind of readiness. I mean, we were ready to have a uh, 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 civilian councils in many places because we had the and uh, The people they knew what we do, and uh, those what we had established after 2004, uh, just for defense units, say defense uh, people, it was, uh, I mean, uh, a mainstream then became YPG. I mean, YPG is uh, now maybe you have heard about YPG, defense unit, uh, people defense units. So, the first uh, seats of that uh, units, it was established after 2004, uh, during the we war underground. So, I mean, we had a kind of background very ready to build on civilian councils and even for defense units also. And, uh, of course, women defense units, uh, defense women units also. Uh, so then 2011 it became very very useful for us i mean our practice which was uh, we were practicing since uh, 2004 and 5 and 6 so Mm. it was okay yeah
0: so with those defense units um you've mentioned that there's uh, a women's defense unit but also that the both defense units are entirely democratic is that right
2: Yeah, you not know, defense units, we are talking about the kind of military rules, so you cannot talk about democracy inside them. <laughs> but, of course, uh, because it's a hierarchy, I mean, organization and uh, people. But, of course, I mean, uh, they are obeying the political uh, views and political, so they are uh, a kind of uh, defense unit without a democratic system, I mean, in, in Ottawa.
0: Yeah right. Yeah. I mean uh, pro- 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 protecting the democracy because we believe
2: uh, if you have anything, if you don't have protection, I mean self-protection, I mean legitimate protection, it will be destroyed. And even democracy, if we are talking democracy, you should have the power to protect your democracy. If you don't have, uh, you're, you are not defending democracy and protecting democracy, it will be destroyed by the others.
0: So you have to be very careful. Mm. And I guess during the uh, the Syrian revolution, um, there certainly were others who did come to get you, weren't there? I'm sorry, I couldn't
2: understand.
0: Um, yeah, tell us about your uh, your fight against Daesh or ISIS. ISIS, yes,
2: yeah. Uh, Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, ISIS, uh, as I said, I mean, in uh, uh, 2011, I mean, uh, we were struggling against the regime, uh, mostly, I mean, regime forces and regime uh, uh, organizations, I mean, in our areas. In 2011. Uh, 12 in June, uh, we announced our uh, liberation from them, I mean, uh, liberated our areas. And suddenly we were facing all those extremists, I mean, which were supported by Turkey against us. And uh, it was developed till ISIS. ISIS, as you know, uh, was established in 2014 in Iraq and then expanded. Uh, to Sinjar, to Shangal, and then came to Deir to Raqqa, and uh, came directly uh, to our areas, to the Turkish areas for occupation. So we had to defend ourselves against them, because uh, already we were practicing. Before Daesh, uh, ISIS, I mean, we were practicing. or fighting against al-Nusra. Al-Nusra is the same ideas and the same ideology. Uh, but of course, they were Syrians. because Daesh was, uh, uh, I mean, Syrian and Iraqi organization. So our people they had uh, to defend themselves against all of them. I mean, just because we were able to uh, to fight against the jihadists with the Muslims, so it was a kind of training, <laughs> preparing for fighting against Daesh. So they, when they came in, so we had to fight against them again. And of course, you know, I mean, uh, uh, all the areas from Deir Ezzur, Raqqa, and all the places, all around, they were uh, captured, I mean, by ISIS, and then only the, the place was left, I mean, it was Kobani. And in Kobani, uh, all the people, I mean, they were uh, in, in Kobani, so they fought against Daesh for 134 days. And it was, uh, of course, liberated in the 25th of January to 2014, and Daesh and just defeated the first time. Uh, they tried to to go back. I mean, and then, uh, of course, our people also they were collected and they just followed them till, as you know, we had the uh, I mean during the fighting at the end. I mean when. Uh, the other forces, when they saw that we are gaining uh, the place from the Daesh, and uh, we're uh, resisting against them, uh, the international coalition tried to uh, to connect with, uh, with us, and we said okay. We, and they asked us if we are ready to, to be together, I mean fighting against ISIS, just fighting without demanding anything from them, they said, yes, we, we are ready, because already we are fighting. And of course, at that uh, situation, we don't need anybody just to help us, I guess ISIS. And uh, that we have done, I mean. So our cooperation was uh, started with International Coalition in uh, two, 2015. And then we started to liberate, place by place, I mean, with the help of the international coalition, from Kobani and then the other places to members, and then we were advanced to Raqqa, to, uh, to Topka, and then to ez and of course, you know, the, the finish point was in Bahus in 2019. So, the, that was the situation, and still now we are still fighting with the international coalition because we have those uh, sleeping cells, I mean, everywhere, and uh, captured everywhere, and there, there uh, maybe in the recent attacks, uh, biggest attacks, maybe, also you have heard about it, it was in the Haseke prison, it was in January 2022, and um, if you remember, there was a big fight, I mean, in Haseke prison, and uh, because now we have uh, prisoners here, we are talking about more than uh, 10,000 prisoners. All of them are fighters in many prisons, and the biggest prison was in Hasselker, which contained about 5,000 uh, prisoners. All of them are fighters from Daesh. So they tried to release them, I mean by uh, attacking from outside and bringing the weapons and so all those cells were organized and supported by Turkey because they had the uh, training camps in these uh, places in occupied by Turkey and Assaai, which is about uh, just about uh, 8 kilometers from Hasaka north of Hasaka uh, So they were uh, I mean filtered uh, from there to our areas and uh, it was a, a big con- conspiracy I mean just to release them. And if you can imagine, I mean, if they release about 5,000 uh, fighters, very hard fighters with those weapons, weaponize them, they will occupy all Hasaka and then they will expand again. So, this is what's uh, their aim. Especially, we have this uh, Al-Hol camp, which is close to Al-Hasaka again, about uh, 40 kilometers from Hasaka. Yeah? Uh, they have those Daesh families children and women and so on, um, uh, contain about more than 50,000 uh, people, all of them are Daesh. So their plan was to release those 5,000 prisoners and then uh, to expand to this whole camp and then to get weapon, weapons from the other places and uh, just, uh, uh, I mean... Uh,
0: Start the insurgency uh, again, I mean, yeah
2: here to uh, again I mean the Daesh again to establish Khalifa again so this is what's planned
0: alrighty I'm just going to stop you there and change tack otherwise we're going to run out of time can you explain how the democracy you've put in place actually works on the ground
2: well uh, yes Uh, it's uh, very difficult you see Uh, just because now, what we are trying, I mean, what we are doing, actually, we are changing the mentalities of those people. And you see, maybe from hundreds of years, I mean, the people's mentality are close to other things, I mean, to dictatorship, and they were maybe educated by the regime and other regimes, and all of them, I mean, very, very strict. And still, tell you, believe, I mean, those people still believe in Caliphate, I mean, they want some some mentalities. They want they want to go back to one one thousand four hundred years ago. So all these mentalities to have, to remedy them, to change their mentalities, and so this is the biggest uh, work we are. Again, we are finding very difficult things to do. Maybe we will able to, to to change the mentality of the Kurdish people, mostly because of those political. Parties and uh, maybe in daily conferences, daily meetings everywhere, talking, discussing. So we have. We were able to change them. But if you are talking about the Arabs and the others, because uh, especially with the, the Turkish side and the regime, just trying to show us as uh, as occupier, I mean, in, in the Arizona, so, they, well, you we are under the occupation of the Kurds. So it's difficult to make relations with them, but of course practically we are together. I mean now, uh, because now, for example, in uh, in resort, in Latakia, there are local councils, civil councils, which is uh, um, I mean uh, selected by them by those people. There are Arabs from the areas, they are managing them, and even if they have a uh, military councils, it also from them, and now. We have, uh, for example, established uh, democratic Syrian forces. We are not; they are not uh, only YPG. Maybe including YPG and YPJ, which is the women defense units, and so. on. But also now we have about more than 50 percent of them. They are from the Arabs, so it means uh, we are succeeding. I mean to get some mentalities changed and to living together practically we are together I mean now uh, in this administration uh, we have a lot of people are sharing everything I mean uh, the councils and, uh, and maybe the organizations the institutions and so on and uh, recently of course I mean when we I said we liberated our areas I mean Georgia by 2012 and then uh, we were, we were trying to make a kind of constitution for Rojava. And we said uh, a social contract, I mean, for our people, I mean, in, in Rojava. And we put it in the practice in 19, uh, I mean, in uh, 2015. Uh, we were able to establish such, uh, uh, I mean, a social contract, I mean, for Rojava. But after this expansion, I mean, to the and and so on, we had to change it because now we were uh, at that time they were the 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 majority was the Kurds, and then we had to change them to make the Arabs, and the others also included in this. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, a social contract. So about one year ago, we have uh, uh, just called the people, and uh, there was a conference between the all the, those, uh, uh, I mean, uh, intelligence, I mean, those people, uh, writers and uh, maybe politicians and so on. A conference, about 150 people, they came just for the social contract to have a kind, it should be a kind of constitution for those our areas, and then selected uh, a smaller, uh, uh, I mean, uh, commission, which is about 30 people, they are working on it, and these days they are going to finish it, which is social contract for all these people, by share the Arabs, the Syriacs, uh, freedom for language, and women, and men, and so all the rights. So it's a kind of uh, a new constitution called uh, social
0: contract. So maybe uh, hmm. it will be, I mean, in the practice,
2: just a few very very short time. I don't know when. But uh, maybe it will be approved by the people and put in the practice in a few months. I think. Yeah. And according to them, there will be elections. I mean, in this area, so it means uh, all democratic steps. But of course, we have difficulties, as I said, mainly for changing the mentality. It's very difficult yes.
0: Hmm. So. In part of changing that mentality is your co-chair system. Can you tell us about the co-chairs? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, as a party, I mean political party, of course, I mean our system, PYD. Uh, we passed to this system in 2012, I mean, because uh, we felt uh, it was by established, I mean, and for the women's rights. We were defending the women's rights and so from the beginning as a part in, in PYD. But practically, uh, when there was uh, an organization, I mean, or part of the PYD, which is for women, we called it the uh, Star, I mean, Star uh, Units, which is, was especially for the women. So inside PYD, we decided to. Uh, to make this uh, co-presidential system, and then, uh, of course, we were able to pass it to the social contract, which was for to Have uh, this co-presidential system, and then, uh, especially the the women, they have their own. Uh, they have their own organization, is a kind of party also called the uh, uh, the Star Congress, which is. Uh, for all the women, only women. So they are now deciding for the women what to do, what to, what to have, and of course they are part of the administration also everywhere. So they are insisting to have 50 percent for the women everywhere, and this co-presidential system for all the organization we I mean, doing it, and it, it became of part of our life really because. Uh, in uh, any work and any activity, if we are not uh, beside the women, we don't find the, the women beside us. We feel something is missing. So it it's became, became a traditional style of life for our maybe to to live together,
0: to decide together, to, to be everywhere, to be together. The equality, I mean. Yeah, great. Yes. And does that extend to different ethnic groups in any of the areas? Yeah.
2: Well, uh, yeah, for the Arabs, we still uh, feel difficulties because uh, uh, what they call, I mean, a polygamy, to have uh, many women and one wife, or I mean many wives or men. Polygamy or what call it, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yep. <laughs> Yeah, in Arabs they have this tradition. I mean, in our areas no, it's prohibited because anybody uh, get married, I mean, for the second wife, and so you just go, they just capture and put him in the prison. But in Arabs we were not able to implement this <laughs> these rules because <laughs> you see the Arabs they have many. I mean, some of them they have four wives, so how uh, well, you can uh, get all of them in the prison? So. Uh, we, ha- we have uh, such difficulties also, I mean, for these women case, I mean, in the Arabs.
1: So what was it, Salah, that um, encouraged the leadership there, which is quite patriarchal, to um, look at incorporating women into the decision-making process and, um, you know, almost like a, a feminist movement in some ways, to give women, the Kurdish women, a voice and to have them, um, you know, autonomous over their own uh, direction. So that, that seems uh, quite strange to come out of a very strong patriarchal culture. Has the Kurdish culture always been um, sort of favoring a matriarchal approach where the women's voices are significant and, and um, valued? Uh, well,
2: in the Kurdish culture, really, it was different, really, from the other cultures, I mean, in Arabs and so... And we never, we never, I mean, in in the Kurdish society, maybe even the ancient Kurdish people, you cannot find the. The women are not covered, you see, at all. I mean, they are just living ordinary, just like uh, the other people. I mean, this uh, Burko and so. It's not our traditions. You cannot find it in the Kurdish areas. The women just dress very well, just like men and so. It was ordinary. I mean, the Kurdish culture, is different from the others. So because of that, uh, we, we didn't find difficulties, I mean, for the women, the woman freedom and so on. And even uh, if you look at the uh, Kurdish society, I mean, the women, they, they had a special place, I mean, even for this polygamy and uh, many wives and so It didn't come to the Kurdish society. Even for the, uh, I mean, the, when the Islam came, maybe in some very strict Islams, maybe you can find, but the other places, it's not acceptable, I mean, to have many wives, I mean. So I think, uh, so the, the dealing with the, the women, I mean, the British society was different from the others. Mm. And uh, of course, I mean the Christianity also they don't have two women, I mean two wives and so. On. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were li- living together. I mean with the Christians as Syriacs, and uh, mm-hmm. even I mean maybe a long time ago there were Jew- Jewish people also living with us. So,
1: so uh, we um, have many
2: many cultures can't can, can accept each other. I mean accept the other ideas also. Yes. In Kurdistan they had to to live together, I mean,
1: with the Christianity and with the and Jewish and uh, so they were... all so m-
2: tolerance, yeah. ...from the beginning, including the women's
1: rights, yeah. Mm. So this is a great segue. We've got some questions that have come in from our listeners. We've got quite a few listeners on air this morning. Um, so we have a question here that ties into what you were just saying, and we have a listener who's asking, um, what role, what, what um, maybe they, what they're saying is, what specific role did women play
2: in the resistance? Uh, Do you mean as a Kurdish society, you mean?
1: So so during the revolution and the resistance, what specific roles, I think they say, what specific roles did women play during that time?
2: Well, uh, I think the Kurdish society now, especially by this revolution, is very democratic the revolution, I think. In our society. Uh, For our and for the other components, also for the Arabs and so and By this model, we have established, I mean, in the northeast of Syria. I think it's the first model in the Middle East, I mean, among all those different cultures and so It's the first model for the people to live together, for women roles, and openly, I mean, uh, uh, especially are uh, uh, talking about the secularism and so on. Uh, I mean, uh, because of that, I think it's a first model in the Middle East. So, uh, as I can say, I mean, our revolution here in northeast of Syria, in our part, uh, we are the leaders of democracy. I mean, uh, we are just the lead, leading. Uh, this democratic approach in the Middle East, I think, is uh, should be supported also by all the democratic forces or pro-democracy. Uh, powers in the world and all the nations should be beside us. So otherwise, I mean, uh, we, we wouldn't have uh, any, stable, uh, any stable time. I
1: mean, uh, uh, in, in, in the Middle East, I mean, we wouldn't have any
2: stability. So is the democratic way, it's uh, the only way, and I think
1: uh, we are um, playing this role I mean, to lead uh, this approach in the well, I hope that answered our listeners' question and we have another question um, here that uh, seems a little bit out of context but perhaps you could explain this to us. Why did Germany ban Kurdish symbols? Is that making sense? Uh, well, that <laughs>
2: uh, uh, Germany I think uh, because of their relations with the Turks I think, uh, is, uh, just because they are close to Turkey As you know, the Turkish uh, relations with the German uh, is not new. Maybe during even the the Ottoman Empire, since uh, 1880 and 1890, they they were close uh, together. I mean, they were working together. And uh, during the First World War, also, they were helping each other together, I mean. Even if we are talking about the, the Armenian massacres and genocide, and uh, even the Syriacs uh, massacre called Sefo and in 1950 15, I think uh, German was sharing. I mean, because they were the uh, German, I mean, the soldiers, and so they were sharing the Ottoman. At least they were commanding. I mean, those. Uh, Right. Is that
1: still the, the case? Is it still the so case? They
2: have very, very they had very deep relations and, uh, and so and since uh, I think for the 20th century in 1960s and so they had very close relations also. I mean, because now we are talking about more than uh, maybe 10,000 companies by Germany in the Turkey and so, and we are talking about a lot of people, Turkish people, even intelligence services and so, in Germany, so they have very, very good relations, economically mostly. Mm
0: -hmm. So because of that, uh, they are are just uh, doing what Turkey wants from them. So how, if people have been inspired by this and would like to support you, how would they go about doing that in the best way? Well, uh, <laughs> I think uh, there are many ways. I mean, first of all, I think... And just so, you, just, so so you know, people, just so you know, we've only got three minutes. Just so you yeah, know, we've only got three minutes left. Uh, well, they should know us, what
2: what we are doing and what we are representing. And of course, I mean, maybe many things they can help us now for many... European institutions and so they are helping us I mean, uh, even uh, by materials, sending I mean of uh, medical uh, things and so to our people and uh, understanding what we are doing and helping us politically and diplomatically to find the ways to support us. So all of them, I mean, if they want to help us and we would like to also to thank the Australian people because I think. Uh, they are discussing our people and also they are sharing in the international, uh, I mean uh, institutions also, so just like uh, many institutions, they are sharing in it and uh, of course they can decide and even for the United Nations and Security Council and whatever it is. So it depends on the people, on uh, people of Australia. I think uh, they are close to the Kurdish people. They know uh, what they are now because we have a Kurdish society over there and they are activating, you know, celebrating together and uh, even for the political uh, uh, stance uh, for the Kurdish people and demonstrations against uh, the Turkish embassies and the Arabs and whatever it is. So, uh, this is the way. Uh, We can cooperate uh, doing a lot of things together, I think. Mm.
1: So if people wanted to get in touch with you, Salah, could they do that through the PYD Diplomacy Office? Are you still connected there?
2: Yes, we we have offices now. We have offices for PYD in Brussels. And, uh, uh, of course, some offices now became the administration offices, I mean, just like in. In Geneva, and we have offices in Germany, we have offices in Paris, and even in Washington, uh, we have the representative of uh, the Democratic Syrian Council, which is including the Arab Syrian Democrats in Washington. So uh, we have many, many representatives, and uh, of course, anyone, anybody wants to to come to us, we will be helpful and we welcome everybody to visit us, especially the uh, journalists and the television channels and so on.
1: Wonderful. Uh, well, I hope come, that... Um, you
2: come and see here yeah, on the
1: radio's off. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, we're just about and out of... Yeah, we're just about out of time, Salah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to have to cut you off, but I wanted to thank you so much for staying up till uh, 2 a.m. in 3, Kobani. 3.30 now. 3.30 a.m. to talk to us from <laughs> Kobani in Syria. crazy. And to put up with our poor, uh, okay. um, poor okay. internet signal and everything else.
2: Thank you else. very much. Thank you for, for giving me this opportunity.
1: You're thank most you welcome. Much. And we'd love to do an update with you a few months down the road. Maybe we could do that.
0: If you want to look up local local people search for Northeast Syria Solidarity Australia and you'll find a few different groups around Australia. This has been behind the lines on community radio Two 2.xfm.org.au and we will see you later.
1: See you next week.
0: You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short. The New Economy Network of Australia, or NENA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system, so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au, where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up Liberapay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks!